0: Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. So how about you? Like, are things finally kicked in?
1: I have been so busy.
0: That's great to hear.
1: Up until, up to last Sunday, we did 23 days straight, at least 12 hours a day. Wow. So you're because really- we were keeping up with everything from the commission. And the commission made some pretty fundamental changes right in the end. So we were kind of left, oh bloody hell. It was kind of a completely from left field, didn't expect it. And maybe we will say something smart here, because it was down to the versioning. And the whole idea of Udamed was, every time you upload it, you created a new version. Fantastic, no rocket science, very simple. Anybody could follow it. But then they made a little change. Every time you upload now, you have to include the last version number of that entity, which doesn't sound all that big. But you've got two environments, acceptance and production, and If I upload to acceptance now and it's version one and I upload to acceptance again and then I have to put in that my last version was version one. Even though it
0: automatically assigns version two. Absolutely. So ergo the previous one had to be one.
1: Yeah and because you've got the two environments though You then have to track the versions of what went up to acceptance and what went up to production or the playground. Some people call it the playground. So you have to track them both. And it just absolutely threw a spanner in the works. So that's why we had our 23 days of an awful lot of work.
0: Wow. And with that, people, I'm here with my friend Richard Houlihan, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Udamed. And he sat on the committees developing Udamed very early on. And uh, he had the foresight to buy Udemed.eu <laughs> before and Udamed. And.com and before they did. So um, yeah, I was like, I, I got your email yesterday, updating and just kind of letting all of your followers know about these changes. And I was like, what timing that we're talking tomorrow? This is like great fodder. Perfect. So what does this mean? Just just this little innuendo of this versioning between the production or the playground and the acceptance. What does this mean for somebody that's trying to do it themselves? like outside of a tool like
1: yours? Um, it adds a nightmare complexity to it. Mm-hmm. Because one of, the, one of the things that we added in very, very early on to Udamed, Um don't forget, I've 25 plus years IT. So when I joined Udamed, I had uh, a lot of background of these things. So when you create your XML file, we couldn't just allow you to create unlimited size. So we put a 300 entity limit. So 300 basic UDIs, UDIDIs, things like that. And what that limit does is it means if you've got 400 UDIs going up, that means the first file will have the 300. The second file will have a cut down down level of fields from the first version. Right, And then you have to track the actual individual versions of every single entity on top of that. So you've got full batch control. You've got to track all the versions. If there's rejections, you've got to make sure that the original batches get resent up without adding in new things or taking things out just in case you accidentally create new versions of those. So this one tiny change of forcing you to include the... The last version, it just basically gives you a major headache. It, re- it really does. I mean, we were, um, we were lucky. We'd been developing, as you know, for 18 months.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we were keeping up with everything. So the changes we had to make, in theory, were small, but it still took us weeks. So anybody, anybody coming at this fresh, oh my god, they have um, a humongous amount of work to do.
0: So what, what do you think was the logic, if any, I, logic's a strong word, what was the value to the commission to add this, what seems obvious in the revision thing? Like what, what, um, what the, value the, did I they get out any of value. it?
1: I don't see any value. What I actually think will end up happening for some companies, they will download their data first, find out the version, then upload it again. Which means the commission um, bandwidth, the 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 data going back and forth, is going to at least double. For our system, we're just doing that just
0: because we added the versioning.
1: Just because they added this one tag, because there, there was always versioning that was always there, mm-hmm. but having to specify what the last version that you uploaded for that specific DI code, I. I see zero value in it, honest to God. And I'm one of the first to keep bits of data. Leo, you know, a tick box here, a check box there. I'm really careful with things like this, and I love the statistics you can get from them. Mm-hmm. But this particular one, you might as well write in what you had for breakfast. It brings absolutely nothing to the party.
0: Well, you know, I think the deeper that we're going into MDR implementation, because we're we're less than a year out from this past May, um, mm. the deeper we, we go in, the less sense it seems to be making. <laughs> and the things that they're adding in to clarify or help it, it just adds redundancy, but not value.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it seems like that is happening in every aspect of the implementation. You know, like all the way down to now the actual where the rubber hits the road with things that they're responsible for,
1: like Udemed. Some, some of the things made perfect sense, but some, some of them I just don't get. Some of them have been put in there just because. But in the greater scheme of things, once we get to a large amount of data going into Udamed, the statistics you're going to be able to get out that is going to be worth its weight in gold, um, especially from a safety point of view. I remember sitting with the auditors years ago in Ireland. Um, they're based up in, uh, on the other side of the country. And I, wanted, I asked them. I said, what do you guys do? And this is, this is where they used to go into notified bodies on a voluntary basis. They had to get, get permission to go in. Now they can kick the door in and go straight for the thing. But I wanted to know what exactly they did. So the head guy, he sat me down. there did an audit coming up, I can't remember which country it was. And he pulled up the CVs of the people. And he pulled up the certificates they were signing. And then he went to their website. And he says, I want to know what gives that person the right to sign off on that certificate. And believe me, and this is the auditing of the notified bodies. And they drilled into it. And he was looking, it was... So this is the
0: competent authority
1: auditing uh, the notified body? No, this was the commission.
0: Oh, the commission, okay. Auditing the notified Um, body.
1: um, But what he did, what he did explain was coming with with the new stuff. He said there's patterns you can see. For a hip replacement, they go notified body X. For a knee replacement, they'll go to something completely different. And he said, what they noticed was, even with the bad data we had in med 2, they could tell where the best notified body for a particular device was. And they said they need to cut out that shopping around. And if there is that kind of shopping around, they wanted to be able to um, drill down into why. Maybe it's perfectly legitimate, but then maybe it isn't. Because I, I do remember a story of one from the UK the UK had refused it. Their technical file had hundreds of mistakes. Just the technical file. Forget, forget the actual detail. Just mistakes. So the UK refused it, point blank. This is for, a, if I remember rightly, for a knee, um, a knee joint. And somebody else gave it. Somebody else gave a certificate on the exact same data. Now, in the end, it was pulled because there was such a, an uproar about it. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of thing they are able to get from the statistics. So mm-hmm. while I don't, I don't have huge sympathy for some of the things they've included, um, I think they're, they're just wrong. But overall, I think this is going to be very good. And, and I know from a manufacturer's point of view, this is never going to be good because it's always going to be an expense. And they do genuinely have my sympathy with that bit. But from a greater scheme of things, the statistics, I think, will be very, very interesting.
0: Right. Well, about what time frame was this that you saw them auditing the competency of the reviewers? Oh, this is
1: back in 2011, 2012.
0: Oh, wow. That's like about five years before MDR was released then.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this was going on for a long time beforehand. I mean, I had my epiphany moment as to my future in 2012. Mm-hmm. It was just after the, the PIP case with this the industrial silicone which was a disaster, mm-hmm. but it was around that time I was sitting watching TV, one of the political shows, and they started complaining about this system that the commission had. And I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, yeah okay, whatever. And then it was, hang on a second, that's what I'm working on. And then I had to go to the working group and I got verbally assaulted by the, um, the member states. It was an awful lot of fun, all the little flags on the tables, and everything. it was quite interesting. But I was only meant to do a 20 minute presentation. I was there for an hour and a half and they were basically hassling me trying to figure out, well, what's happening with this new legislation? Let it give us information. And I obviously was following it, following it as close as I could, but this is right back at the, the very beginning. And I thought, if the competent authorities are going to struggle to understand what's behind this, the manufacturers have no chance because the competent, the way the, the whole regulations were finished, the MDR and the IVDR, competent authorities unlimited support from the commission. Unlimited. Manufacturers and notified bodies, sponsors, authorized reps, all the rest, they just have to get support. Support can be one person, it can be two people across the 80,000 companies, but the competent authorities get unlimited. They get everything. So yeah, my epiphany or moment was if they're going to struggle, everybody else is in trouble. And what I have have noticed is a lot of companies were waiting. They were all very interested in new demand and they were coming to me with questions. We've been doing training um, for, Jesus, two years. Um, And a lot of people have been through it, but they waited. They weren't going to pull the trigger on getting their data ready. Some have been brilliant, have been right up front, but others, as you know yourself, others have kind of thought about it, and they've seen the spreadsheets that we did and the templates, and they kind of go, oh, no, that's, that's, that's too much work, and they kind of push it to the side. But in the last two days, email has been absolutely jumping. It has gone from not to 100 in a matter of minutes by the looks of it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which, is good, which is good. But I mean, the companies have a huge mountain to climb.
0: Well, that's fascinating, um, because early when I was... Uh coaching people on how to select a notified body with all the decommissioning and the slow uh, onboarding of ones that were authorized under MDR. You know, I made this whole decision-making flow chart questions you should ask. And one of them was how many resources and how fast has the notified body that you're thinking of using added and in, in what period of time? And so what you just said about them being audited for their competency speaks directly to that because they are having year over year, they're adding more, but they're also having trouble finding people who meet the the higher expectations for competence, the definition of competency under MDR. So somebody from France yesterday that was trying to hire, he's the CEO of a breast implant company, trying to hire a regulatory and quality person. And every candidate he had, he lost to a notified body.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had a long conversation with them. I I spoke at the the RAPS convergence with the two ladies from BSI. And when we were off camera, we're obviously just chatting away about what's going on. And they've hugely ramped up on the amount of people they've hired. But one of the things that they had to do was even with the IVDR, it doesn't apply. They can't do anything. They have to hire the people and have them sitting there waiting, doing nothing until the whole thing kicks off. Wow. And they, have, they have hugely ramped up. And as you can imagine, getting people with a lot of experience, it costs. It doesn't come cheap.
0: And I was uh, talking with... Um... I did did a program with Basel recently, Mm. and he said, uh, and he was explaining that um, just to train somebody new 18 to 24 months before they truly understand, especially a clinical reviewer that doesn't have a regulatory background. And I was talking with somebody else from a notified body that said that not only do you struggle with getting getting them competent, getting them trained by a lot of the clinical people think I don't need to know anything about regulatory. You know, I, I, I'm already an expert in what I do. So what is this? So,
1: yeah, it's uh, I a mean, t- t- tough, tough, sun as well, where Basel was, they've also hugely ramped up. Yeah. Um, but the financial investment, Now, I know people are slagging off the the notified bodies and they mightn't be the most popular out there because they they charge money, et cetera. But the level of investment that these companies have had to make is huge, absolutely huge.